You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, let's talk real quick about tickets. If you want tickets to Indiana's NIT quarterfinal game against Wichita State on Tuesday, you get those through the IU ticket office, 20 bucks a pop. Hopefully we see a huge, raucous, enthusiastic crowd just like we did on Saturday. But if you're thinking about going to any of the remaining NCAA tournament games, and it looks to be a pretty exciting Sweet 16 stacked with good teams, three Big Ten teams, there's regional games left in Louisville, Kansas City, Washington, and Anaheim. If you want to go to any of those games, you should definitely check out our sponsor, SeatGeek. You know, for a long time, buying tickets has been difficult. It's been annoying with a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. But SeatGeek has really changed that. And I can tell you from experience of just assembly call listeners who have, you know, ordered from SeatGeek and maybe had some kind of issue, SeatGeek has always worked with them to make sure that the issue gets figured out. And when we talk about every purchase being fully guaranteed so that you can shop for tickets with confidence, that's really what we're talking about there. SeatGeek really does care. And, you know, it this shows in the fact that they have more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, which is crazy. That's a lot of five-star reviews. Uh, but, you know, SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web. They rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. And they display them on this really cool interactive seat map, so it's simple to find what you're looking for. Green dots are good deals. Red dots are overpriced. And again, whenever you purchase, it's fully guaranteed. So I have the app on my phone. It's what I use. It's the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets, and that's why I recommend it to you. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $10 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So use our promo code ASSEMBLY. For $10 off that first purchase, you can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase from SeatGeek. All right, now here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 21st edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 504th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the afternoon of Monday, March 25th, 2019. I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call. And that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And this week's Banner Moment occurred at the 838 mark of the second half of Indiana's victory over Arkansas. Down 51-49, the Hoosiers got the ball inside to junior big man Deron Davis, who was in the midst of a resurgent performance after being benched for a poor mental approach in the second half of the Hoosiers' NIT opener against St. Francis. Davis found fellow junior Devontae Green open behind the three-point line, and Green nailed his fourth three-pointer of the game to give Indiana a 52-51 lead. The Simon Scott Assembly Hall crowd erupted, as you would expect, and the Hoosiers would never trail again in the game. And in this moment, three factors converged that will be critical to next year's team ending its three-year NCAA tournament drought. One, the senior-to-be Devontae. He has shown over the last six games that he may actually be ready for a leading role as a senior. 
With so many questions about IU's front court next year, Indiana's backcourt will have to be its bedrock. Three weeks ago, it would have seemed crazy to have confidence in Devontae being part of that. Three weeks later, it's not such a crazy thought anymore. Two, the senior-to-be, Duran. With Jawan Morgan taking his prodigious post-scoring talents with him and with Jake Race and Clifton still yet to flash any offensive consistency, and with Trace Jackson Davis sure to need time to come into his own as a go-to scorer, Duran has to be a consistent contributor next season, which means his mindset this offseason is critical. So it was important for him to respond to his coach's challenge like he did. And number three, the fans. The crowds at Indiana's two NIT games have been the perfect megaphone of enthusiasm and support for drowning out the social media trolls. It's easy to be discouraged by another subpar regular season, but Hoosier Nation can't let discouragement prevent us from playing our important role in lifting the program back to national prominence. The Indiana basketball program maintains its status as a slumbering blue blood in part because of the incredible fan support it has even when times are tough. That can't change. If Indiana is to make it to the NCAA tournament in 2020, it will be because Devontae, Duran, and a supportive fan base helped lead the way. Saturday, all three showed they may well be up to the challenge. All right. And joining me for today's mailbag segment, a columnist for the big lead and a host of The Hangover. And he was early today, a few minutes early. He is Shocking, right? Ryan Phillips. How you doing, Ryan? Uh, pretty good. Just ready to dive into the mailbag. Uh, nice little win on Saturday and looking forward to facing off with Wichita State tomorrow night. Absolutely. That's going to be a it's going to be a fun matchup and coming up I mean, later in the show matchup. we have a yeah, we we have a preview of it. They are it's it's easy to you know kind of overlook this when a team isn't in the NCAA tournament and they've been in the hundreds in Ken Palm for most of the year, but they're one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Yep. I mean, they're coming in playing really really well. So And so is Indiana so, challenge. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to note for people who are following along the NCAA tournament, I don't know if you guys have tuned that out cuz Indiana is not in there. I certainly hope not. Um, but right now the one seeds are undefeated, two seeds are undefeated, three seeds are undefeated. Then there's two four seeds in the uh, Sweet 16, and the other two teams, Oregon and Auburn, are the two hottest teams in the country. So, I mean, it's it's pretty amazing how that's worked out, that, that really all the hot teams coming in and all the best teams coming in just keep winning. We haven't had any upsets. It's kind of crazy. It is. It is. All right, well, on tap for today, we'll hit the mailbag. Mike DeCourcy will be here to talk IU, look around the Big Ten, and then I'll have an in-depth preview of this Wichita State matchup coming up on Tuesday night. But let's dive into this, Ryan. Uh, so first question here from Leland Butler. He says, what is the difference between a preferred walk-on and a walk-on for a basketball recruit? IU announced there had been a preferred walk-on name for next year. That is Nathan Childress out of Zionsville. Um, so he's a guy that, you know, we'll obviously look at, will be a part of the program for the future. He was going to play, um, oh shoot, what's the NIA, NAIA school he was going to play? Uh, Bethel. He was going to play at Bethel. They had a coaching change, decide to come as a preferred walk-on. My understanding is a preferred walk-on is basically just, you were invited by the coaches to be a walk-on as opposed to participating in a, like an open tryout as often happens. And you basically get all of the perks, so to speak, of being an athlete without the, the scholarship part of it. So, I mean, you get access to the gym, go to practices, those kinds of things, but don't get, obviously, the money that's involved in the scholarship. And there well, may and be some more nuances and, and, there. But. And, and regular walk-ons get that as well, I, I, as far as I understand. But the, the difference is, basically, a preferred walk-on shows up on campus and knows he's going to be a walk-on and knows he's going to be on the team, whereas a, a, a regular walk-on, and again, it's most guys who come now 
they're not doing open tryouts. These guys know they're going to be on the team. Uh, so preferred walk on all that means is that he was offered a spot on the team by the coaches. He's just not getting a scholarship. So he he's walking on, but he knows he's going to be on a, on the team as opposed to having to go through some kind of open tryout and several, you know, open tryout levels or whatever to get there. Uh, these guys are just, they know they're going to be on the team. They're just not getting the scholarship. That's all that means. Yeah. You know, we'll look at him more. You know, seems like an interesting player. He's six, 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 seven, you know, looks like a decent shooter. I think he shot 36% from three uh, this past year. The comparisons are inevitably inevitably going to come up to Zach McRoberts, and that would be great if he's the kind of player that Zach is. But let's remember, you know, Zach coming out of high school went to Vermont, which is a pretty good program. He had offers from some, you know, from some Division One schools. This guy Childress didn't. He Vermont some- is, and, and let's remember, he was a D one athlete. Either Vermont is a Division One school, and and he played there so that was a different situation he came home his family also had the money where he could walk on and not take a scholarship i mean there's there there is different levels zach is a different type of walk on yeah so point being don't immediately jump to that comparison because it undersells how good of a player zach is and was coming out of high school that's all that's all i'm saying there but hey you know get a guy from indiana that plays hard can shoot it has good size and decent athletic ability it's pretty good for a walk on. So yeah, and at worst, that's a great practice body to have. Yep. You know, I mean, it, 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 at absolute worst, it's it's a skilled guy who can help you in practice. Yep. Okay. Uh, really interesting question here from Michael. He says we talk a lot about the players and their improvements and adjustments. I want to ask about Archie and specifically, what do you think he's gotten out of this year? I feel like his substitutions or lack of have gotten substantially better throughout the year. He seemed to be still holding on to the perceived depth. We all thought the Hoosiers would have well into January. Shortening up the bench has paid dividends. He certainly has done that. I think that's also just a byproduct of as seasons go on, you get kind of more comfortable with your rotations and most teams' rotations tend to shorten. So that's part of that. Guys wear down and you can't use as many guys. I mean, there, there's plenty, you know, everybody, yeah. I guarantee you, everybody on this team has bumps and bruises right now and is not at 100%. That's just the way it is at this point of the season. I mean, and and I heard, I said this one time and somebody said to me, and I think it was on a uh, on a, a different radio show. Somebody said to me, uh, well, I mean, how can these guys get bumps and bruises if they're not like in the game? I'm like, you realize they're practicing every single day and working out every single day and, you know, things like that. I mean, you could just have a, you can have a mishap in the weight room where you just don't lower the bar fast enough or something and, and it hurts your arm. You know, I mean, there's every little thing. These guys are hundred percent dedicated, um, to, to this sport and they're, they're working out and working on themselves every single day and you can pick up an injury doing anything. So, um, I, I think that it makes it easier to tighten the rotation and tighten the bench when you're later in the season. You're seeing these guys kind of drag and practice from time to time, and especially some of the younger guys who aren't used to practicing this long into the year uh, and going hard and plus having to do weights and go to school and go to tutoring and stuff like that. You're just seeing guys drag and be slower, and uh, it's probably easier to, to sort of you know shorten that bench and round out your rotation a little bit. But more to the point, you know, in terms of Archie and where he's improved and adjusted, what do you think will be, and we've talked a little bit about this, but what do you think will be the biggest things that he'll get out of this year as he kind well, of from, reflects on it in the offseason? From what I've heard, and I think that you've heard as well, is that after that Minnesota game, the dr- drastic changes we saw was he wasn't taking any BS anymore. He, he got a lot tougher. And and I think that the guys really responded to it. He He, he instead of, working with guys and being sort of like, Hey, you know, 
this is what we want to do. Where do you think the adjustments could come or how do you, where do you feel comfortable? He just sort of dropped the hammer and said, this is what we're doing. Uh, get on board or don't. And you can see the team has absolutely responded to it. And, and I think that um, it was, I think what alarmed him about the Minnesota game was a lack of effort. And, and in some of those losses where they were losing close games in that losing streak of 12, 13. Yeah. There was a lack of toughness because tough teams finish out games and things like that. But at least there was a lot of effort from the majority of guys. There were one or two games in there where you're just like, ugh, you know. And, and, but I will say, even good teams face those. You get one or two of those a year, and you're kind of like, all right, yeah, it was just, you know, the effort wasn't there tonight. I mean, all the best teams in the country face that once or twice a year. That's why nobody goes undefeated, uh, no matter how good you are. But when you see the lack of effort in a dire situation like it was at Minnesota, that's where the problem is and you drop the hammer there and you say no more and he did and if you watched the games since then the effort has been there i'd say the ohio state game there uh, in in the big 10 tournament the effort i you know it didn't look great but the effort was there it was just sloppy and it was misguided and it was you know guys doing the wrong things at the wrong times for the first half of the game maybe two-thirds of the game um but the but at least there was some effort, uh, so I don't really look at that. But if you look at that last seven games, other than that, it, it, the effort's been there and it's been consistent and it's been uh, even if things have gotten ugly, guys are playing hard and the defense has been much better. And and you know defense, let's face it, there's technique on defense, there's focus on defense and all that. But seventy five percent of it is just wanting to guard. If you want to guard even if you fall out of the team system or whatever, you can still stop a guy from scoring. Um, so I, I just think we've seen the effort. We've seen the effort increase and, and we've just seen these guys be more focused and on the same page. And that, that goes to even on the bench, you're seeing guys engaged in a way they weren't for weeks. Yeah. You know, I think a few other things, number one, the wild swings of this season will always give him something to point back to for himself and for future teams. You know, Indiana's riding high at 12 and two going into Christmas break. It feels like everything's going well. He can tell a team, Hey, if you guys lose your focus, we could lose 12 out of 13 right now because I've seen it happen, you know? And similarly, you know, you get in a losing streak and he can point back to, okay, what did we do to get out of this now? And maybe can we do that a little bit sooner? So I think the experience of dealing with a season, which with such wild swings is at least going to give him a foundation for how to deal with success and failure in the future. And also you kind of mix in, you know, all the injuries, you know, like that's something that now he'll have a little bit of perspective on. I think he also got his first taste of dealing with a five-star recruit and a one and done recruit. And, you know, whatever he learns from that, and I don't, you know, really know enough about how all that situation has gone. You would think that he'll be more ready for that in the future. And we wouldn't, you know, while we do want to have a program that gets old and stays old and all of that stuff, when five-star potential one-and-done guys come through the state of Indiana, you want to get them, you know, and you want to be ready to bring them into your program. So I'm sure Archie has learned some things there, maybe things that worked, things that didn't. And then I think the other thing that we don't know yet how Archie is going to respond is offensively. Like this team at times this year looked to be without answers offensively. And yes, part of that is injuries. Yes, part of that is not being able to shoot. Like all the built-in things. But still, there was like a baseline there that we all thought it's like, man, this team should be better offensively. What happens in the offseason to make that better and give this team more of a rudder than in the toughest times it can kind of fall back on from an offensive standpoint? And that we don't know yet. Well, and, and what's amazing to look at, if you look at 
that you take that, you know, losing 12 of 13 out, which you can't do. I'm just come with me on this exercise. You take that, that out, the team's 18 and three, like, you know, I mean, it's, it, and, and it's something was working. It stopped working and now it's working again. Like, I mean, there's a clear delineation there where you can look at those games. And I think that you spend the off season, you're examining those games more than you're examining the wins because you've got to find where are we missing? And I'm sure Archie already knows it. Honestly, I, I Archie's the kind of guy who probably goes home after a loss and watches the game 40 times before he goes to bed. Um, but if you look at the change there and the fact that when they were going right and when things were going right, they're 18 and three and their losses were, a missed tip in at Arkansas, uh, the road loss against the best team in the country in Duke, and walking then, into a bear's mouth. There you go. And then you know a two a four point loss against Ohio State, where they played like garbage for two thirds of the game, couldn't buy a bucket. Um, you know those are three losses, and you look at that, it's like okay, that that's in their streak of playing well. We lost those three games, and really, you can excuse the Duke loss, you can excuse the Arkansas loss because. They didn't play great, but they had a tip in to win it, and they got a terrible foul call. That it should have gone to overtime, all that stuff. And then you look at the Ohio State game, you go, okay, we got to figure something out there because it didn't go well. But you look at the streak where they're playing well, and they're beating teams you know, easily, it seems like, and at least playing better than them. Then you look at that bad streak, and you've got to figure out what happened there, what changed there. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think that there's there's a real opportunity here for Archie to learn from that bad streak more than he can learn from the good stuff, uh, of course. And 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 you're right about being able to tell guys like we were 12 and two and our season completely fell apart. People were talking about us as a contender. Uh, we had all this talent, all that, and our season completely fell apart. Don't get too high. But also when you're losing, don't get too low. We can figure this out. We can write the ship. Uh, it's just a matter of sticking together and xyz and and doing certain things on the court so uh, you're right it's really a tale of three seasons uh but it's all in one season and he's he's probably learned a lot from that i mean people forget he's still a very young coach you're still way too willing to excuse that duke loss the loss is explainable the way they play oh no terrible. the way they lost no i'm just talking about the the actual yeah, yeah. No, no no yeah the way they lost was terrible they were just completely overwhelmed um, okay, John says, how important do you feel getting the win at home tomorrow night versus the Shockers is to the future of the program? Don't we need to reestablish home court dominance if we want to compete for championships and NCAA bids? Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, it's a big game. Look, I, I, I've long said I'd rather win the NIT than be out in the first four of the NCAA tournament because you can build off of that. Losing in the first four or the even sometimes the first round is just kind of a an anticlimactic finish to the season. Um, you want to be in the tournament, but you want to be in the tournament to advance. And, and and you're in this tournament, and if you beat Wichita State, you get to go play at Madison Square Garden. How many times in your life as a player do you get to do that? How many times do you get to play more games on national television You know, with a captive audience? who, If people love basketball, they're going to be tuning in tomorrow night. It, it's a Tuesday. There's no NCAA tournament games. Um, so, yeah, I think it's big. I think it was a big home court advantage on Saturday that probably – Gave them about a five-point swing. Um, even Tuesday against St. Francis wasn't a great crowd, but the atmosphere was good. And, and people were saying that who were there. They were excited. And I think you're kind of, you're kind of, <laughs> you know that the 5,000 people who showed up to a first-round NIT game really like basketball and, and really like mm -hmm. Indiana. And you got some passion there. Uh, but yeah, if you're on campus, go show up to that game. If you're in the area, show up to that game. It's going to be fun. It's two good programs who aren't having their best years. It's two good coaches who aren't having their best years and maybe haven't had everything together. And it's two of the hottest teams in the country right now. There, there are 
there are plenty of NCAA teams right now who would rather face who they're facing next weekend than face Wichita State or Indiana. Those are two hot teams. Next weekend? Prepared. Maybe this past weekend. Well, I don't know okay, about next sure weekend. this past weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'd say everybody. It's kind of a strong draw left. Yeah. This week. Well, I'll, I'll retract that. I'll say this past weekend. I mean, you know, Indiana and Wichita State are playing incredibly well. And, and yeah. it's going to be, they're playing good basketball. It's going to be fun to watch two defensive-minded coaches uh, going at it, sort of throwing hammers at each other. And, and, and we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm excited for it. I know Jared is. Yeah, no, I think it, you know, you're looking to build momentum here. And so I think if you can win all three of your games at home in the NIT, you know, really reestablish that enthusiasm, which kind of felt like it had been lost there a little bit. And you get these home crowds. That's a nice thing to carry into the offseason. So, uh, you know, de- definitely huge to do that. And you're right. We have to reestablish home court dominance. That has Absolutely. to be important. We have lost way too many games at home over the last three years that just never should have happened. And more than that, put forth just really poor efforts at home over the last three years from, from 27, 2017 through these last two years. And that stuff just can't happen anymore. So Jared, I'm looking back at this schedule right now and you look obviously the Minnesota loss, but then I think you would agree the Purdue loss was a coin flip, right? I mean that that's could have gone either way. Absolutely. Played great defensively that night. Yeah. And, and again, they had a tip in at the buzzer, you know, that, was probably in over the back, but whatever. Uh, and then Iowa in overtime at Iowa in overtime. That's a coin flip game as well. Yeah, I think that's fair to say because oh, Bohannon just yes. went off there. Although so, you know, watching the ten the uh, Tennessee game, that's how you defend yes, Jordan Bohannon at the end of the damn game, Indiana. I agree that's how hey, you do you know what though. There were a couple of those shots where they defended him well, and he just got the ball off. Like I, I will say that part. Right, he uh, got the ball off. Tennessee didn't even let him get the ball off, well, except for the one where he pump faked it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, give him layups. Don't give him threes. It's it's also nice when they finally call him for a push off on one of those. But anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but so India has won six of seven. It could easily be eight of nine. I mean, you look at how. So again, you look at that trend of how they're playing. This is where you want to be in in March. The problem is they dug themselves such a deep hole that they're not where you want to be in March. But I think it's worth noting, yeah, people are saying, well, they won six of seven. And the two previous to that, they easily could have won. And it was really, you know, there's some luck that doesn't go your way. There's, again, you don't close out behind him fast enough. Uh, and he hits a couple shots. I mean, it's, it's little, little things make the difference. So, um this team could be on you riding an even higher streak. But hey, also you win against Wichita State, you get to 20 wins on the year. Uh, that looks a heck of a lot better than 19. It, you know, 20 and 15 looks a heck of a lot better than 19 and 16. So uh, just when you're selling the program to people, you, you can build off of this. So we got a couple questions about why Race Thompson isn't playing. You know, the first thing is it's always hard to answer those questions because you don't know how they're practicing. Now, he didn't play against St. Francis. He was sick. So, you know, he yeah, had come down with some bad. kind of virus. So I don't Flew. know about the Arkansas game. You know, that was a game where Indiana didn't really need him because Juwan and Duran didn't get in foul trouble. And those guys give you so much more offensively. And, and against Arkansas's pressure, I don't know that it's a great matchup for race at this stage. And in his let's face it, Fitzner gave him some. Really yeah, good Fitzner played really well. So, so that's how I would explain I think it's, that. It's rotationally. I, I also look, the guy had the flu on Tuesday. Was he fully ready to be back on Saturday? I mean, we saw yeah, I don't the, know. Devonte had that same thing and was not practicing all week, so it could just it could just be a matchup dependent, which doesn't surprise me. It could be also Archie defaulting to the seniors and playing them more. A guy like Fitzner, hey, he, this could be his last chance to play college basketball. Let's see what he does. And he's uh, been better lately. Fitzner's he, he has, been more consistent, very much. And he so. finally looks comfortable on the court. He really does. Uh, but 
Yeah, so I, I think that that has to do more with that than anything race is doing. And then also race, you know, let's remember, he missed a lot of time. Who knows where his conditioning is at? And he played some big minutes a few times, but it was also in a different matchup. Now, if Daniel Gafford's in that game, maybe you see more race and less Evan Fitzner because Fitzner, you know, it, it maybe doesn't fit against Gafford as well. Uh, but don't worry about race. We'll see him plenty. It's I don't think this is an issue that anybody should be worried about. I think that it's just, you know, end of the season, he was sick. And, you know, it, you're potentially getting Juwan Morgan or Evan Fitzner or Zach McRoberts last game. Let him go out there and do some stuff. And he probably fits a lot better in this Wichita State game. And Indiana may agree. need him, especially if guys get in foul trouble. So I would look for him in that one. And then, so we got to, uh, and we'll probably end with this question, uh, but we got a few of these, you know, and, and the basic question is, what's your current vibe for next season? Higher or lower expectations than this year's team? Um, and, you know, and someone asked it, you know, with Jerome getting no playing time and race getting very little, wondering if we should lower our expectations for them. We're going to have all off season to talk about this. You know, you went on record earlier the season saying that next year's team could be better than this year's. No, I don't think you thought this year's team would set such a low bar for that. But a lot of the reasons why you said that still still remain potentially true. I think what's going to be interesting is there are so many questions about next year's team, including we don't even know what the final roster is going to be, so it's way too early to answer this question. Yeah. But a lot of questions are going to have to be answered in the affirmative. And if they are, next year's team can be really good. Yeah, but no. I, I, some I of those, but some of those questions are awfully iffy, and that's what I think gives a lot of Indiana fans pause. No, I'm, I'm still very confident the next year's team is going to be better. I think they'll be better balanced. I think the roster will be better balanced. Uh, it depends also, as you said, the finalization of the roster. Are they going to fill that last scholarship with with a high school kid coming in or recruit? Are they going to get a transfer? Like, how is this all going to work out? There are whispers going around that there is a transfer ticketed for Indiana that we don't know. I don't know who it. I like. I'm not just hiding that from you. I don't know who it is, but there are whispers going around. There's that's already. There's a guy on his way. Uh, who knows if that's true? If that's just people talking, but there's just rumors out there that Indiana is going to get a transfer. Um, is it Zion? I wish, man. God. <laughs> Even though that was completely an offensive foul, he, he wouldn't get those calls at Indiana. <laughs> no, he absolutely wouldn't. Um, you know that that was a tragedy. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so there's, there's just rumors out there about what's going to happen, what's going to happen next, all this stuff. So, uh, we don't know, but if you're looking at who, you know, is going to be there, I think that team is better than this year's team because of the balance and then projecting all those people to grow. I'm also assuming Jerome Honor is going to be, going to be healthy. That's a big if, um, but I'm just assuming he's on the roster. I'm assuming he's going to be available, um, and you're projecting all of these freshmen who came in as a year better. You're projecting some of the other guys in there to be at least somewhat better than they are this year or somewhat more consistent. So there's a lot of ifs. You're right. But I just look at that roster and I think, man, that's a lot better roster. Yeah, you lose your top two players, but look at the guys who are already stepping up. And 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 so, you know, imagine Rob Finnessy healthy for an entire year leading this offense, plus with this experience and an offseason to get better. That's a really intriguing thing to me. Trace Jackson Davis has continued to get better, and he's going to be on campus very shortly with you know a full off-season workout with Cliff Marshall and uh, working on his jumper and all that stuff and getting even better. That guy's going to be great. Deron Davis, back to full health. What does that do for you? Uh, again, Jerome Hunter. Knock Race on wood. Thompson. Yeah, I mean, again, for sure, for sure. Jerome Hunter, Race Thompson. Um, all of these guys, Devonte Green playing the way he is now, can he harness that for a full season? I don't know. I I, I don't know if I 
if I if I, I, bet I think, here's the issue here is I think you're right, and all of those are very intriguing, and I am very excited about next year's team. The thing that you lose, and we often tend to underrate this. Same thing happened when Yogi left. When you have all these questions, it's nice to have the one kind of rock that you can really count on. And Jawan has been that guy for two years. He hasn't been perfect. He's had his up and down games, but he's that guy you can really count on. And as you look at next year's roster, there isn't a guy like that. You're projecting a lot of guys who could hopefully be that and to kind of do it by committee, but there isn't that guy. And that's, that's a little worrisome, and it may hurt Indiana early on, Sure, but, they, but it might allow them to do it more by committee and allow other guys to step into that. That's what makes a basketball also, season fun I also to follow, think- but we're going to miss that. I also think that you can already see Deron Davis being that guy. Not like a guy who can answer it necessarily on the court, but I think he's going to be a vocal leader. If you look at Deron, he's the guy who pulls people together. He is apparently the guy who keeps certain guys in check on the roster. He also just got benched a game ago in the second half for having a bad mental approach. That's that's what I'm saying. I, I, I think you could be right. There's just a lot of questions there. Same thing with his health. There's just there's a lot of question marks about the roster, and that's a little bit scary. But the problem is this year, a lot of questions were answered in a negative way. <laughs> so maybe next year is kind of our year that a lot of those questions get answered in a positive way. And I think there's going to be a lot of back and forth this offseason like that, because for every point that you made, there's kind of a counter. So like Devontae Green, man, he could average 15 points a game and you know be a you know, third-team All-Big Ten guard next year. Or he could be inconsistent Devontae. Jerome Hunter could be you know a potential all-conference player, or he may never play. So like that just kind of you know back and forth of, of the questions I think is going to make the offseason interesting and it's going to make next year very challenging for Indiana but the potential yeah. is there and I think the biggest thing is one I mean goodness gracious just by like the law of averages they should be healthier and then they got a chance to have better chemistry than this year's team did both because of the injuries and just because of guys kind of having been around each other longer you know kind of you know able to build that chemistry and that should help um but we'll see. Fortunately, yeah. we still have no, some I mean, more we'll games see. this year. I'm, I'm uh, very excited for what next season could bring. I agree. I do agree with that. Um, one more question from Josiah here while we wait for Mike. Do you happen to know why the NIT scheduling seems so up in the air? Why don't they determine the dates and times for the next round sooner? So the Final Four is set. It's April 2nd, April 4th in New York. I have to think that one of the reasons why it's so challenging is because you're playing at home for for yeah, different schools and they're having to like none of those schools are necessarily anticipating being in the nit so you're having to do a whole lot of stuff on the fly to get ready so you've got that plus you're trying to work it in with tv and, and work there's out just a lot of moving parts yeah and i mean yeah it's it's because they're not playing at set sites that's that's why basically i mean the the nta tournament is at set sites on certain days and if you're in the bracket in that way you know where your site's going to be so um that's why, basically. It's because these these schools are having to have home games. Also, some of the schools in the NIT, their women's teams might have home games because of the way the women's uh, bracket is set up with those pods with those uh, those pods at certain schools. So there's a lot of shuffling that goes on. And it's basically just because the the things aren't set. And and remember, Indiana, if Indiana had lost to Arkansas, you know, Arkansas would have been hosting, I believe, yeah, they would have been hosting uh, Wichita State this week. So it's it's you know, it, it, again, it's just all juggled. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. Um, and then we got this last question from Calber Hoosier, which may be a little more in-depth than what we can really answer uh, here, but we'll give it a shot anyway. Will Indiana start recruiting scrappy players like Purdue or Iowa again? 
Just did my big eye roll there. Yeah. Uh, everybody, by the way, everybody recruits the exact same players. It's if you look, go online and look at the recruiting offers that these players get. Everybody recruits the same players. You don't know how they're going to turn out once they get to college. Just, I'd say Rob Finnessy's a scrappy player. I like Rob Finnessy. Race Thompson's a scrappy player. Um, uh, Jake Forrester is a scrappy player. He's just a ball of energy right now. I, I think that Armand Franklin you could classify as scrappy. Um, so yeah, ease up on 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 stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know to a certain extent, it just depends on what you're what you're meaning by scrappy. But yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, you you know, look, Indiana needs to recruit guys for the culture that are going to be gym rats, and you need high character guys and all of that stuff. But you've got to recruit talent. You know, you've got to recruit players. You got to recruit players who can shoot, who can play defense, who can you know do all of those things. So, I uh, you know, and I I don't have an issue with the players Archie's been targeting. I think they've you know they've swung and missed on a few five stars, but all those guys were guys they should have gone after, and they yep. were right there at the end. They just didn't get them, and they've landed their fair share as well. And I like the guys that they're targeting in the future classes. So obviously, it's all it only matters if they get the players in and that we start seeing the results on the court. But so far, I have no real quibbles overall um, with the recruiting. Maybe a few things here or there, but for the most part, I think they've done a really good job with it. Agreed. Any final thoughts, Ryan? I think we covered everything that has to do with Indiana basketball today. We only did it in like a half an hour, Jared. Congratulations! That we was did great. it all. We did it all. So you'll be there for the post game show tomorrow night. I will. Beautiful. All right, man. Thanks for being here, as always, for the mailbag. Always. Later, guys. Cool. All right. Coming up on the Assembly Call, it is time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy. We will reflect on Indiana's first two NIT victories, search for a precedent to help us believe in Devontae's turnaround, and discuss the Big Ten's opening weekend performance in the NCAA tournament. Stick with us. We're on the Assembly Call. It's coming up next. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. There's no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN, in addition to his columns for the Sporting News. Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. My apologies that you still have to keep half an eye on the NIT as we move as we uh, extend yes, here into it's March. all on you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it's nice to see them still playing. I think they're getting a lot out of it uh, and that uh, it'll be valuable for them going forward. Did you did you get a chance to watch both the games against St. Francis and against Arkansas? I did not get to see the St. Francis game, but I did get to see parts of the Arkansas game. Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it has been, uh, as I said, I think a, a good experience for them to be able to play. And, and you know, it seems like the audience is reacting really well, uh, responding really well. To, to what's gone on that some of the crowds seem you know better than some of the games that counted so to speak yeah they did i mean that's been probably the the biggest thing to come out of it i mean there were twelve thousand plus there and from people who were there said it was one of the three or four best crowds of the season which you know given kind of how a lot of people responded to making the nit at first you wouldn't have expected but it's been right. very heartening to see the people there in bloomington and indianapolis support the team like that in the game so that has been quite encouraging. Yeah, once you've gotten this far, too, I mean, you want to get to New York. Uh, you want to get the opportunity to play there and, and play in the Garden. And, and I know that the, the guys that were on the team a year ago 
had to have enjoyed that experience in the Big Ten tournament. So you might as well go ahead. You, you don't, it, it's the, 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 of all the games to lose in the NIT, like if you lose one, you get, you get it done with and you're done and okay, we're finished. And, but if you get this far and you don't make it to New York, it just feels you know, a little empty. So it does. I'll go ahead and win this one. So let me ask you this, because I, I've seen some some people discussing this, and I know quite clearly how I feel about it, but I want to know how you feel. Is there any argument to be made that winning the NIT or making a deep run in the NIT is better than making the NCAA tournament but losing in the first round? If you had an entirely new team, you maybe could make that case. I think in general, the answer is no. Uh, you can get something out of it, but you know, for Jawan, uh, the opportunity to play in one last NCAA tournament, I'm sure would have meant a ton to him. And uh, so I, I would say that, no, that, that that's, and, uh, that's probably not the case. So I, I, I do think though, I mean, what you're getting out of Devante, uh, has been good, more experience for Robert running the show. Uh, I think that's all been good. Uh, but you know, I think that, uh, that even if you lose in your first game in the NCAA tournament, you've made it. And yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure that I could find some Cincinnati fans right now who could say, yeah, but we make it and lose every year. Uh, but uh, they've made it nine years in a row. And uh, maybe that get, maybe that starts to seem old, but try being the Hoosiers who haven't made it the last couple of years and then tell me it's not great. Yeah. Try, try, try missing it three years in a row. Yeah. You know, and that to me is part of the point is, no matter what they do in the NIT, and, and I agree with you, I think there's a lot that they can get out of it. Indiana's going to enter next year having missed three straight NCAA tournaments, and that's a big albatross to have around your neck, you know. And it would have been nice to, and, and you know, and guys like Rob Finnessy, some of these younger guys still have no NCAA tournament reps. Devontae right. Green and Dron Davis still have no NCAA tournament reps. So I, I, I appreciate that people want to get as much out of the NIT as possible, and that's kind of what we've tried to advise people to do and are doing. But I just think if you can make the NCAA tournament, even if you lose, especially at a school like Indiana, and the expectations of the school probably make a difference, I think making the NCAA tournament is always the best option. Yeah, I mean, you look at Penn State, which won it a year ago. Uh, they came back, and and because they lost their they lost their backcourt, basically. It, it it even though they had their frontcourt back, it didn't end up making them that much better, if at all. And so the so they got a trophy and that was cool but it's you know it's not as good as being able to say you re, you met the goal that every single team starts out with and that's to be in the NCAAs yep so you mentioned Devontae Green and obviously the biggest on-court storyline for Indiana in the two NIT games and really going back ever since the you know the Michigan State game is how well he has played you know and the light seeming to to turn on and I don't think any Indiana fans are willing to trust it fully, but we're all starting to embrace it a little bit because, gosh darn it, it's fun. and It's a lot better than the alternative. <laughs> so given his surge of play, who are some Big Ten guards you can remember who were as maddeningly inconsistent and really mostly subpar as Devontae through you know about two and three-quarter seasons, but then had the light bulb flick on and suddenly became really good players as seniors? Because... You know, we all want to believe the turnaround is real, but are there any historical precedents to point to that something like this can really happen that late in a guy's career? Well, the first one, I, uh, you know, actually I went outside the league because trying to find uh, players to fit that criteria was not easy. Um, I, I, the first one I thought about was Russ Smith, uh, oh. who, whose performances at Louisville were so extreme that his own coach came up with the term rusticulous, 
because he, I mean, he would do things that you were like, what on earth is that? And sometimes it was, what on earth was that? You know, like crazy good. But most of the time it was, why? Why would he try that? Uh, and, you know, and I think that from that standpoint, uh, it, you, you're looking at a guy in Devontae where you kind of saw the same stuff. And you saw some of that in the first half of the, of the Ohio State game in the Big Ten tournament. And that was part of the problem. I mean, he yeah. came back and certainly erased a lot of what he'd done wrong. In that in that uh, in that second half with that comeback that he really basically almost uh, you know almost authored himself, uh, but I I do think that you know that's the kind of thing that you you need to get him away from being inconsistent and more toward being uh, you know a, a, a positive player and and eventually um, you you when you were looking at at. Russ, he became a first-team All-American. He became a cornerstone of a national championship team. But the early part of his career was rusticulous. So I think he's a good example. I, 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 there's a kid named, you know, when you try to find guys who, it doesn't happen very often that guys are basically irrelevant or non-players or negative players for the first three years of their career, first, or most of the first three years, and then all of a sudden blossom into something special. Uh, there was a kid named Keith Benjamin at Pittsburgh who barely played his first three years and then became a significant player as a senior. So there was a um, sort of a similarity there, you know, and, and, you know, I saw, I, I saw a little bit of, of that in what he's doing now. And I thought a little bit about maybe it, you go back to Illinois in the 2013 season DJ Richardson, maybe a little bit like that. Uh, you know, he was kind of a frustrating player for a lot of his career. John Gross came in and I thought really got a lot out of DJ. I'm not sure whether the stats would match up or not, but I thought that he was somebody that would kind of fit that category as well. Hmm. All right. So there are a few, but it is relatively, you know, but again, Devontae doesn't need to become a great player. He just needs to become a consistent player and kind of a yeah. cog in the wheel that you can count on. And if he can, yeah. that'll be and big. Shown, if, he, if he gets, if his baseline is consistency, and I think that's what Russ Smith eventually developed was you could expect he's going to do the right things. Now, he may try some things when, when, there, when, they, when there's a moment for that. Like, Something like a guy is driving down the lane and does a 360 or something like that on a break on a one on none. If you're doing that, it better be an eight point lead. You're trying to turn to a 10 point lead. You better not be down one trying to go up one. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, that's so. So when he does things that are extreme, they have to be in circumstances where failure can be tolerated and success is a game breaker. That's when you do that stuff. He tries and did it in the Ohio State game, tried to do things either out of exasperation or an inflated sense of possibility that damaged them in the first half. So if you get the baseline of consistency, which Russ eventually did, then the thing, like the explosions that you're seeing from time to time, I mean, he didn't explode in the St. Francis game. He exploded in the Arkansas game. Mm -hmm. uh, he exploded late in the Ohio State game. If it had begun from a baseline of, not three turnovers in the first half, all of which were what they would call in tennis unforced errors, yeah. then you would then you would have had a phenomenal game. He got a lot of credit for the comeback. Not everybody saw that he was one of the guys with a shovel digging the hole. Mm -hmm. 
that, so that's you have you have to have the baseline where you're not digging the hole, and then when you feel it, like he did in the second half, then your then your 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 contributions are always positive. So three Big Ten teams still alive in the Sweet 16. We'll get to those in a second. Uh, and, and overall, it was a good first weekend for the Big Ten. You know, a lot of wins in the first round, and you know, a lot of teams you know did well in, in the second round, even if they lost. Among the teams that were eliminated in the first weekend, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Ohio State, and Maryland, who do you think is most likely to return to the NCAA tournament next season? Well, that that adds a layer of complication. <laughs> So what we have to presume is that everybody makes a good decision relative to the draft, which means, okay, so Maryland definitely loses Bruno Fernando. Maybe loses Jalen Smith. That takes a lot of their front court away. So I don't know what, and and if on Bender, you know, injuries and all he's done. So I don't know what kind of front court Maryland's going to be able to have as a result of that. So I would take them out of it. Uh, Not taking that out of the tournament, take them out of the conversation. Uh, you look at Ohio state, if, if Caleb Wesson, I think is going to be an NBA player, maybe because he can really shoot it for a guy his size, but his body's got to get better. He's a long way away from that. It's still, you know, there's, he's, he's, I don't think he's anywhere near NBA level now makes a good decision. They get most of their perimeter guys back. Uh, they'll lose CJ, uh, Jackson. They lose, uh, Keyshawn Woods who played really well down the stretch. Uh, but they bring in a really strong class freshman point guard from Iowa is supposed to be terrific DJ Carton. So I think they'll be back. Uh, Wisconsin lose Ethan Happ. I think they've got a lot left, but they need to get things going a little bit. Um, they really got stagnant down the stretch and that's some of that's because people in the big 10 know how to play you. Uh, but then they wind up in the, in the game against Oregon and they, they were stagnant again. So yeah. They need they need to get their they need to pick it up just a little bit. Even if they play the same style, I got no problem with the style. They've got enough guys that can go that they can pick it up a little bit. Um, trying to think of who else got eliminated. Iowa. Iowa. You know, I, I think Tyler Cook will go now. I mean, he came back for an extra year, did some good things in the tournament, made a good impression. I think he'll go, but they still have a lot of good players. You know, I they still need point guard play. I, I think they can make the tournament. They clearly they did it this year uh, with what they had. But I, I, I don't tell, don't get me wrong. I love Jordan Bohannon, but I don't think he's a point guard, and I don't think he thinks he's a point guard. I mean, he, he's willing to do the job because there was nobody else. But Jordan's a Jordan's a shooter. I mean, if you can play him off the ball and run him off screens, what a dynamite force he is. But I, I think they and and uh, and Ohio State will be back. And the others are going to have to work. Uh, I think they, you know, they, I don't wouldn't write any of them off, but I think they're going to have to really work to get back. What about Minnesota? Do you expect Amir Coffee to be back? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, because you know his game is different. It, it it doesn't fit what most people are doing now, uh, unless he becomes a great shooter. And he, you know, he's 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 a very good athlete, but he's not the kind. You know, I try uh, try to think of um, you know somebody his size. Uh, the guy that now I'm forgetting his name, the guy that played at Kansas from Houston, he's from Houston and that, and then he was at the wizards for Kelly Oubre, uh, yeah. you know, that size, but you know, Kelly was a much more dynamic athlete, not a skill, uh, as Amir is, but a much more dynamic athlete. I don't know whether, you know, I don't know what Amir's position is, 
Um, is he a point guard? Is he a backup point guard? Is he a wing? Uh, if he's going to be a wing, he's got to shoot it better. So I don't know what he does. I mean, they lose Jordan Murphy, uh, and that's a big loss. But boy, what a great foundation to have Kalsher and mm-hmm. and and Aturu. And if they had Coffee too, and then you could add a point guard to that. Uh, and you know, uh, I don't think they'll get the hurt kid from uh, Minnesota, but they're in it, um, and he's tremendous. And he if if he went there. I mean, they would be top six in the league, I think, because you you know with 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 the two you know the wing you know Kalsher uh, and, and Aturu plus the hurt the I don't remember Matthew or Michael Matthew, I don't Matthew hurt, which one's yeah. which, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, he's terrific um, and uh, he could really make a difference if he went there. So, of the three Big Ten teams still alive, we'll focus on them. Who do you have the most confidence in now to make the Final Four between Michigan mm-hmm. State, Michigan, and Purdue? Yeah, they've all, they're all in, you know, in challenging circumstances. And Michigan State, I, I would have more confidence in them if they weren't in Duke's region. You know, everybody in America now wants to believe Duke is, like, exposed because they struggled to beat UCF. And, I, and my reaction to that is whoever else out there have a set, has a 7'6", 310 mobile center, mobile, you know, I, that, then, yeah, they're, they're going to really struggle again. But I don't think there's any more of those left in the tournament. So I, I still think Duke is really imposing and, re, you know, really uh, a dangerous team and, 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 and they have to get through a, a very challenging uh, round of uh, round of 16 game just to get to that. Uh, so I, I think it's, I think they're in a tough spot. It, uh, I picked Michigan to go to the final four there. You know, they've obviously got a difficult game as well. And then they'd have to beat, you know, either Gonzaga or Florida state. I'd have a lot of confidence against Florida state. I, I have confidence against Gonzaga. Because that's why I picked them. Uh, but it's it's a real challenge. And Purdue, you know, I mean, if you could tell me that Carson Edwards is going to shoot like he did against Villanova in the games against uh, Tennessee and then whoever emerges from the top, either Oregon or Virginia, then I'd say I'd be very confident in them. But and this is no knock on Carson. It's just it's hard to do that for one. And he hasn't been that player for most of the last five weeks. I had a. Uh... You know, someone, uh, I think it was on Twitter, said something about how, you know, kind of questioning the the coaching of Purdue and that, you know, Painter didn't have a lot to do with it. You know, Carson Edwards just went off. And it's like, well, yeah, he did. But also the coach has allowed him to have the green light all season. And you deal with some of the really poor shooting nights to get those kind of shooting nights. And you hope they come in a big moment. And it did. I guess, yeah, now the question is, you know... at some point, you might say, like, okay, maybe that's a you know not a good thing because Carson will just come out gunning the next game. But he does that every game. Yes. So I don't think it's going to change his mentality much. But if he can get hot, you know, and Indiana fans obviously aren't going to want to hear this, but probably realize that. I mean, he's the kind of guy that can carry you to two or three wins in a tournament almost by himself when he gets that hot. The question is, Absolutely. you know, this this matchup against Tennessee is going to be interesting because they have some tough guards that can really defend. I was really impressed and kind of saddened in a way watching them defend Jordan Bohannon at the end of that game because it's like that's how you defend Jordan Bohannon and Indiana did a really nice job on Carson Edwards when they played in Bloomington and I have to think Tennessee has the kind of backcourt that will make life tough on him so will Purdue have enough other guys to step up to win that matchup it's going to be a really fun game I think yeah I think that's the real challenge for them Uh, you you hope if you're Purdue that you can get that out of Carson but you have to get you have to get production out of other players and they have for the most part i mean the, the amazing thing about purdue's development through the course of this season is that as carson went through what was almost a historic slump 
uh, just a, a, a real, uh, 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 just a really difficult period. Uh, their offensive efficiency went up. They were climbing the charts on Ken Palm, even as that was going on because uh, Klein was so good and Eifert was so clutch and, and Harms was getting a lot done and they, and they, and Nogel was really uh, finding what needed to be found. And, and so all of it went really well for them, even as Carson struggled. I, I, they, during the time he went in his 10 game slump entering the big 10 tournament. So I didn't factor this in, but in the 10 game slump that entered the big 10 tournament, they won eight and two, even as he shot really terribly uh, and, and shot a lot. And so they know how to win with that. It's just easier for them to win when he's shooting a good number. And, you know, someone gave me uh, a stat like as he was getting toward the end and, and showed how much more successful they are when he's getting assists. Like if he gets four assists, they their winning percentage goes way up. And that was true in the first game against Old Dominion. But even in the, you know, he was so effective from deep in the Villanova game. He only had one assist, but it didn't matter. They were still great. Yeah, I guess when you can get 40 plus, that kind of ne- ne- negates the need for those assists. Uh, Michigan, Texas Tech, will anyone score 50 points? <laughs> you know, it's exactly right. It, 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 I was talking to uh, Bill Bender, who covered the Tennessee uh, regional for us, uh, the, the, the one in Columbus where Tennessee was, the sub-regional. And we were talking about matchups and this and that. And then we got and he uh, we got to talking about how Michigan would do. And he, he was saying, would they get to 60? Uh, and said, so now you've lowered the bar here. <laughs> I mean, it's two f- phenomenal defensive teams. And that's the real challenge for Michigan. And Michigan did not get a good game out of Iggy Brasdakis against Florida at all. He really struggled. Uh, but uh, they, they always seem to have a guy step forward. If you're off, I'm not. And Charles Matthews has not been great since his return from the ankle injury from an offensive standpoint. Uh, but Isaiah Livers has been really good down the stretch. Iggy had been so good uh, for about three weeks before that Saturday game against Florida. And, and then, of course, uh, they've gotten such great consistency out of Xavier Simpson uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, John Teske. And, and so they've been able to get through uh, the ins and outs of their perimeter players. What have been your general thoughts uh, or what were your general thoughts on the first weekend of the tournament? Do you like seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of chalk, a lot of the good teams set up what look like really good sweet 16 matchups, you know, or do you miss some of the buzzer beaters and a whole lot of wild upsets and crazy brackets? You know, I, I didn't have a problem. I, I, I you know, first of all, I, I always just take what the tournament gives me. I try to, you know, I, I try to enjoy what it produces. Uh, I don't mind not seeing a lot of upsets. I would have liked to have seen fewer blowouts, more competitive games. Kansas's effort was really surprising. Wasn't surprised by Villanova not being good. Uh, with as good as Purdue was, I don't know that there's much Villanova could have done. And they they pushed their they pushed their uh, their ability to about its limit in getting to there and in, in winning the Big East regular season and tournament. I think they got everything that they had out of what they what they contained and and didn't have any more left to go, but I was disappointed in some of the, um, in some of the competitiveness of various teams, but you know, it, then, then there was also just some bad luck. I mean, you looked at Minnesota, would Minnesota have competed with Michigan state? I think they would have for longer, but they lost their best player or their second best player in, in like 30 seconds. I mean, 
they knew going in it was going to be hard. And then you lose Jordan Murphy, and I think they realized it was going to be impossible. So you had some bad luck. But, you you know, on the, on the, on the good side, I mean, you had the Duke-Central Florida game that I was at, and it was one of the great tournament games, early-round games that we've ever seen. It, 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 had, it, it was just a completely unique experience because of Taco Fall. Uh, just complete. He completely dominated the game to the extent that you almost forgot Zion was out there. I mean, and that's I I couldn't imagine have seen that. And it's not to say Zion didn't play great, but you know Taco Fall just swallowed up everything. It was it was amazing, and so we had that. We had uh, uh, the the Iowa comeback was was a tremendous thing. I thought the Ohio State Iowa State game was really compelling. That was that was fun game. So we had a lot to like. It's just, uh, you know, when when you don't have a lot of buzzer beaters and stuff, people, you know, who just float in for the month or like, wait a second, you know, you guys promised me something extraordinary and all you're giving me is basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's, I know. It, you know, I always find it interesting during the NCAA tournament how much just the the seed number next to a team like drives kind of your perspective and the context of the game. You know, just like even if it's like a big school, but they're the 11 or 12 seed. Now they're an underdog. And it's like, you know, you're rooting for the underdog, even if it's, you know, one of the programs that has like the biggest budget or whatever. Like, it's just it's funny how that always kind of happens this time of year. But I do, you know, I think you kind of miss those kind of upsets when they don't happen. But now you look at this Sweet 16 and it's a lot of really compelling matchups up and down. And so I think it's going to it's going to make for a really interesting weekend. I was trying to think of whether it would be the best Sweet 16 ever. And I remembered in 2008, we had Kevin Love, Derrick Rose. Um, we had Tyler Hansborough. We had Russell Westbrook. And we had Steph Curry and, and, and more. And so I right away filed that away. No, this is not the best Sweet 16 ever. But, you know, I would challenge anybody who wants to do the research. I don't particularly to find a more accomplished Sweet 16 than this one. Uh, I counted it up today. There were, out of the Sweet 16, there are only five teams that did not win a conference championship, either conference tournament or regular season. And uh, I know that Michigan State won both, and I think there might be one other that won both, but definitely Michigan State. Um, and so you, you, you have all this accomplishment. And, and, and of the five that didn't win, conference championships. I added it up and they average 29 wins a team. So it's just, it's an amazing group of teams. I mean, like Kentucky and Tennessee didn't win conference championships and Michigan didn't win a conference championship, but they were all clearly great teams from beginning to end. So it's, that's with the exception, by the way, of the uh, Duke blowout of Kentucky. Uh, So that's, that's what we have. And so the games on Thursday and Friday should be phenomenal. I mean, they should be among the best we've seen. And, and, and if, if, if we don't see competition in those games, then it'll be disappointing because yeah. all these teams, none of them has an excuse not to compete. And none of them really has an excuse not to be good with the possible exception of Kentucky. Uh, a lot of people will say they don't have any excuse if they don't compete. If, if PJ Washington is not out there, I mean, they're missing 17 points a game, 20, if you go by his recent play. And that's a lot. Uh, and they, they really struggled to score in the Wofford game. They struggled to find enough baskets to win that game. I don't know whether or not they'll be able to do that in the Sweet 16 if they don't have him. Yep. 
Well, Mike, thank you as always for being here. Um, as I was saying right before you came on, we're going to plan on, of course, doing Banner Mondays as long as the season goes and probably one more whenever the season ends. So we'll definitely be back next week, even if Indiana loses to Wichita State. And hopefully we have, you know, three more of these and we can uh, talk after a successful trip to New York. But the Hoosiers need to take care of business on Tuesday first, and hopefully they will. Thanks, Jared. Cool. Thank you, Mike. All right, coming up, I am going to preview Indiana's matchup that is coming up Tuesday night against Wichita State. Really interesting matchup, very challenging in a number of ways. Wichita State, one of the hottest teams in the country. We'll talk about that and the matchup problems they are going to pose for the Hoosiers next on the Assembly Call. Stay with us. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week, our final segment is dedicated to previewing Indiana's upcoming opponent, and that is Tuesday night, tomorrow night, against Wichita State in the quarterfinals of the NIT. So let's talk about this game, because it's happening. Uh, it's the next game up on the schedule. But, you know, a lot of people asked me in the lead-up to, you know, when Clemson was playing Wichita State, who would you rather play? And... You know, I just kind of took a quick glance at the Ken Palm ratings of the two teams, and Clemson was, you know, 30th, you know, something like that. You know, they're a team that had, had really, they'd lost some close games, um, but had really played, you know, a, a lot of really good teams tough. And then Wichita State, you see them, they were, I think before that game, they were 83rd in Ken Palm. And I thought, well, yeah, I mean, I'd, you know, just give me, uh, I'd rather play Wichita State. But that was without really looking at it. You know, now having looked at it, this Wichita State game is tricky. They are good. Um, and so, you know, a couple quick stats, quick notes that illustrate that. They are 7-1 and one since the calendar turned to March. Six of those victories have come on the road or on neutral courts. That's impressive, and it's especially impressive when you consider that they are 274th in the country in experience, and they are 346th in minutes continuity, meaning the minutes the guys got last year getting those same minutes again. So they're playing with a ton of new guys. So even if they have a little bit of experience, those guys weren't necessarily playing last year for them. So they don't have a lot of minutes continuity. So when you kind of view things through that prism and you're working in a whole bunch of new guys, it kind of makes sense why they struggled early and why they lost. You know, They played one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Nine games, 10 games against top 100 competition by January 19th, and they lost eight of them. Well, that kind of makes sense, you know, but it appears that they're really growing up quickly at the end of the season. So on February 2nd, they were 10 and 11. They were ranked 142nd in Ken Palm. Since then, they are 11 and 3 and are now ranked 74th in Ken Palm. That's a massive jump. That's a big, big midseason turnaround for a team. And if you go to Bart Torvik's site where you can actually see the adjusted efficiency margins and kind of break them out by date, since February 1st, Wichita State is number 39 in the country. Indiana is number 43. So in a lot of ways, even though there's a big disparity in the seed, Indiana one seed, Wichita State a six, there's a big disparity in the overall season numbers. You know, if you kind of take away some of the stuff that happened at the beginning of the season and look at it over the last couple of months, these teams are playing very similarly. And so it appears like it's going to be a really good matchup. And when you actually start looking at 
the strengths and weaknesses of these two teams, you see some similarities. You know, for Wichita State, their strength is their defense. You know, this is a team that's that's driven by their defense. They're 62nd overall in Ken Palm in terms of defensive efficiency for the season, but they've been better than that recently. They defend threes well and they defend twos well. And this is really it kind of feels like they've taken this as their identity during this winning streak. You know, they really have a strong perimeter defense, and they showed that in the Clemson game. And they've, they, you know, they showed it in the Cincinnati game too. I mean, they have been swallowing up opposing guards and really making them inefficient. Now, sometimes those guys get their points, but it takes them 15, 16, 17 shots to do it. So defensively, they're really good, and they're going to give our guards some issues. Now, from an offensive standpoint, in terms of their strengths, they're really good at crashing the glass. They don't turn it over. So, you know, for a team, and we'll get to this in their weaknesses, that isn't a good shooting team, they do the kinds of things that you have to do to produce offense, which is they get, you know, more shots, they get second chance opportunities because they crash the glass and they get additional shots just by valuing possessions and and not turning the ball over very much. You know, from a weakness perspective, defensively, they don't have a ton of weaknesses that jump out at you. They are really solid defensively. They don't force a ton of turnovers, so they're kind of more of that solid defense, not necessarily out there trying to force a lot of turnovers, but they do play really physically, and while that is obviously helpful in certain ways, they're also going to put you at the free throw line a lot. So very similar to Arkansas, where they give up a lot of free throws. So it's going to be really important for Indiana to make their free throws in this game. Outside of Deron Davis, Indiana did a nice job of making their free throws against Arkansas, but everybody's going to have to step up and make free throws because this is probably going to be a close game. In terms of weaknesses for Wichita State, they don't shoot it well at all. So I would not go into this game expecting (laughs) real aesthetically pleasing basketball if you're looking for a lot of points, if you're looking for a lot of shooting. um, It is going to be kind of an ugly, tough, physical game with a couple of teams that really want to get the ball in the paint, that really want to get the ball inside, um, and that aren't probably going to make a whole lot of three-pointers. So that is what I would expect. Again, they're like Indiana. You know, not not a not a perfect mirror, but there are a lot of similarities between these two teams. And so that's going to be that's going to make things interesting. So if we look at keys to victory, you're all going to be fine with the first one. The second one might scare you. So we'll do the first one first. You got to get the ball inside offensively. Absolutely have to get the ball inside. Now, the nice thing is, this is our biggest strength. When we're playing well, this is what we want to do, and I'm sure it will be the game plan. As I said, Wichita State has really made guards inefficient scores in recent games because of how they defend the perimeter, but opposing post scores have really been able to get a lot of work done. Now, Clemson didn't, and they had a terrible offensive day all around. But if you start looking in some of the previous games that they've had, the guards have struggled, but a big man or two has really been able to be effective down low. And so Indiana's going to have to do that. You know, you have to think, seeing what Devontae has done recently, they're really going to key in on him. He's going to have to be patient and make good decisions because they're going to defend him physically. They're going to defend him with a lot of pressure. So I think this is going to be an important game to see if some of the improvements from him that we've seen to see if that continues. And, you know, the other, you know, not only are we going to be able to score more effectively inside because it's where we have Jawan and Duran, who are two of our best scorers, because it's, you know, kind of where the weakness of the Wichita State defense is, but we also need to get their big man, uh, Jamie Echenique. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but uh, we need to get him in foul trouble. He's a seven footer. They have a couple of seven footers. He's the best one offensively. 
He's got two straight games where he scored seven or one where he scored 16, one where he scored 18. He was held to just seven points in the loss to Cincinnati, and that's a big reason why they lost that game. You've got to go inside against him and get him in foul trouble. Uh, he and the other center that comes off the bench behind him, they commit 6.7 or more fouls per 40 minutes. That's a lot. So, you know, and the thing is, he's going to be a tough matchup on the other end because he's big, but he can also make threes. I think he's 12 of 25 for the year on threes, and they were executing a little bit of a pick and pop against Clemson to take advantage of how Clemson was defending ball screens. And so, you know, I, I think... <clears throat> Sorry about that. With the way that Indiana likes to defend ball screens with the hedging, you're not going to be able to do that against a guy like him. Now, we've been dropping a lot more uh, with our ball screen coverages of late, so maybe that won't be as big of an issue. But still, a seven-footer who can step out to the three-point line, that's not a great matchup for Deron Davis You know, to have to cover that much ground. So better if you can just get him in foul, foul trouble, get him off the court, because he's one of their more efficient offensive players, and now they have to rely on some other guys to get offense. But... Either way, get the ball inside. That's where you're going to score points. That's where our strength is. It's where their weakness is. And plus, it'll help us get to the foul line more. If we're settling for a lot of outside jump shots, not going to be good, especially against this team because they're probably going to be tough, challenged outside jump shots. So that's the first thing. And that needs to be all game, 40 minutes, really, really work to get the ball inside. The second key, I think, is I really think this is a game that Justin Smith has to play well. I really do. Um, you know, Marcus McDuffie is Wichita State's best player, and he's a tough matchup. He's a 6'8 guy. He's a senior, so he's experienced. He's strong. He's skilled. And he can play facing the basket. So he plays, you know, the, the four position for them, but he's really a guy who likes to face up, hit jump shots. He also gets a lot of his offense in transition. He gets it coming off screens and cutting. That's not the type of guy that Juwan has had tremendous success guarding this year. And so, you know, with the load that Juwan's going to have to carry offensively, because I think he's going to have to carry a big load offensively, you're going to need Justin on the floor to help check McDuffie because you start looking at the other guys who can check him, and Justin is by far the best matchup. Like, yeah, maybe you can put Zach McRoberts on McDuffie. McDuffie's stronger and taller. Yeah, maybe you can try and put Race Thompson on him, but now that's a strong senior against a freshman, and he's going to be moving all over the court. So it's this is really a game, I think, where Justin Smith has to, kind of like Justin did against Lamar Stevens. You know, when he really harassed Lamar Stevens into a tough day, that's what needs to happen with Marcus McDuffie. So it's big, you know, and we don't know which Justin's going to show up, but if he takes that challenge to heart, and really stays focused in, that'll be big. The other thing is, you know, it's not just on the defensive end where Justin can be big. Wichita State is very good in transition defense. But given how good they are defensively overall and how much we're likely to struggle offensively, we're going to need to get some transition scoring, and he's the best we have at finishing transition. So I think, he, you know, when he's not on the court, you know, it does seem like it helps us out in the half court because we get better decisions, you know, and fewer turnovers. But it does hurt in transition because he's the most dynamic finisher that we have. So, you know, look, I, Wichita State gets most of their offensive production from the four and five spots. So, you know, I think Evan and Race are going to get their opportunities, and I think they're going to have to give good minutes in this game. But Justin, I think, is key. I just, if this is one of those games where he's only going to play 13 to 15 minutes and they're not very effective minutes, I think we're really going to struggle to win this game because I don't think we have a great matchup for McDuffie. Um, 
you know, outside of him. Now, I think Juwan can guard him, no question about it. But again, you know, now you're putting Juwan at more foul risk because McDuffie really draws a lot of fouls. He's the best on Wichita State in terms of drawing fouls. And, you know, with the load that Juwan's going to be carrying offensively, it'll help out a lot um, if he doesn't have to guard McDuffie. So that is the second key. And then the third key is that I think Indiana's going to need to win second chance points. Again, you're talking about a couple of teams that don't shoot the ball very well. Uh, and 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 they really like to crash the glass. They are 45th in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. We are overall, in terms of offensive rebounding percentage, 182nd. So it has not been something that we've done consistently well all year, but in certain games we have, and it's really helped. And even in the Arkansas game, we didn't get a ton of offensive rebounds, but we were very efficient in turning them into points. Wichita State is really focused on crashing the glass. So we are going to have to be good on the defensive glass. We're going to have to challenge shots if they do get offensive rebounds, and we're going to have to get some on our own. If, if you, I think the team that wins this stat may well win the game. And you know, Indiana was more efficient against Arkansas. They ended up winning the second chance points battle, you know, by a close margin, and Indiana won the game by a close margin. I would not be shocked if this stat is the one uh, that determines who wins and loses this game. So Wichita State is coming in. They're confident. They've won on the road. They've won in neutral courts. Uh, they've got a lot of chemistry. You can just tell from reading some of the articles about their recent games and and the way their guys are talking. You know, I, I watched some of Greg Marshall's uh, press conference today. He seems like a confident coach. So I think having a big atmosphere, it always helps, and it can rattle teams. But I think this Wichita State team is pretty tough-minded, and they're playing pretty well, and they're playing with a lot of confidence. So... I, I feel like they'll come out ready to play, and I think Indiana's going to have to come out ready to go from the tip for 40 minutes and be ready for a tough physical game. You know, Now, look, if you can go out and have a great shooting night and all that, that you know makes it a lot easier. But I have a feeling this is going to be a knockdown, drag-out, physical-type battle, and whoever plays tougher, stronger for 40 minutes is going to win the game. And we definitely are capable of that, but we're going to need guys like Justin Smith to step up and do it, and you know, especially if he plays well. Uh, and if our guards can handle that physicality, then I think we'll be moving on um, to New York. But this Wichita State team is definitely capable of coming in and getting the win. So it's up to the Hoosiers to make sure that that doesn't happen. All righty. Well, that's going to do it for us on this week's edition of Banner Monday. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Monday afternoons for as long as we're doing these for the live broadcast of our Banner Monday recording. And you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with the postgame show after IU Wichita State tomorrow night. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. Ryan, let's talk real quick Hold about... On. I don't want to cut you off. I know. I always say that. But Except one that stat we missed. One stat we missed that was really important that we missed. Points in the paint. Indiana. No, you missed it. I said it. Oh, well, so I did number one, I, I don't listen. N- number you. one, pay attention to the show. <laughs> Great moment from the uh, Arkansas postgame show. All right. Talk to you all Tuesday night. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. 
And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Look, staying healthy isn't easy. Watching your diet, hitting the gym, avoiding stress. But a good night's rest helps boost your overall health and wellness. And it couldn't be easier. The new Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed is the only bed that effortlessly adjusts and responds to both of you. The result? You wake up ready for anything. Proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. And now, the new Queen Sleep Number 360 P5 Smart Bed is only $17.99. Save $600. Only for a limited time. To learn more, go to sleepnumber.com. Let me be straight with you. This is a radio commercial for three small business insurance. With three, your entire business is covered. So while you can't see the following scene, just know that this contractor's business is protected by three. Hey, toss me that drill. Yeah, man. Heads up. Oh, that looks expensive. Now this is an insurance moment, but Three's got it covered. Three is a product of Berkshire Hathaway Direct Insurance Company. Three, no nonsense, just common sense.